For August 19th, 2019, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 581. In America, Slipknot is funny. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we are hanging out and talking about the things we love. You know, guys, I say that, that opened so many times, I'll probably never, ever screw it up in my whole life. I'm Matt Rather, and uh, with me are my good friends, Peter Fenzel. Hey, Pete. Hey, Matt. And Mark Lee. Hello, Mark. Uh, you're not the boss of me, Matt. There's I'm only not, just the boss. I'm not the boss. Springsteen is the boss of us all. And that's, uh, you know, that's what we're talking about. The music of Bruce Springsteen, especially as uh, embodied in Blinded by the Light, uh, the film adaptation of a memoir of a uh, young man of, of Pakistani descent growing up on, on the outskirts of London in Luton, um, who is set free, whose adolescence is set to the, to the tunes of Bruce Springsteen, uh, who was was unfashionable at the time, and yet, despite that, managed to uh, find a way into uh, this young man's heart and find a way in his kind of self-expression to, you know, make him, uh, uh, to set him free in some important uh, internal sorts of ways. All right, we're going to talk about Blinded by the Light, but first of all, I feel like we have to talk about Bruce Springsteen uh, and just kind of, as we said uh, in our preparation for this, put our cards on the table and explain our relationship to the to the music of Bruce Springsteen. Um, so, uh, Pete, I gather you're from New Jersey. Are you familiar with this artist and some of his work? Can't say I've heard of him, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm very familiar with the boss. I, I, I think that my relationship with Springsteen went through two very distinct phases. Uh, there was the first phase, which was because I'm from New Jersey and because he was really popular and, and throughout the, through the 80s and perhaps maybe had more staying power in New Jersey, perhaps, you know, relatively speaking than other places through the 80s. I grew up very familiar with Bruce Springsteen from like the Born in the USA album, right? And it was it was something that was playing all the time. I was very fond of it, but it was the kind of thing that I thought of as as sort of part of the world that I lived in. And I was too young to really understand that music was something that you liked or disliked, right? There was just, there was certain music that just sort of existed. I think I've mentioned on the podcast before that I have difficulty conceiving of the fact that there was a world that never heard White Wedding by Billy Idol, right? Like that, because it's like, I when I think about the world and I think about the universe, you know, Billy Idol is part of it. it. It's part of the fixture. He's part of the setting. And the idea that whole generations lived and died and never heard of Billy Idol doesn't really mesh with how I intuitively understand pop music from childhood, uh, which is I'm wrong, obviously, but I, I guess as a child, uh, kids say the darndest things. And so would you if you had no education, which is a line that I ripped off from somebody. But uh, around, I think like a lot of people around 1995, 1996, I took a deeper dive into Springsteen. And the occasion for this was the Bruce Springsteen Greatest Hits album and also the Streets of Philadelphia song from the movie Philadelphia and also the Secret Garden song from the movie Jerry Maguire, all of which were very high profile at the time. And I don't know if they were huge deals for you guys where you were living, but they were certainly huge deals for me. And so getting the Bruce Springsteen Greatest Hits album, uh, and as I've mentioned a couple of times uh, on the podcast over the years and on TFT, being a Columbia House member with no taste in music, not knowing what to purchase, I ended up with a bunch of Springsteen albums. And so I went through Human Touch, 
Uh, you know, I went through Ghost of Tom Joad, right? Very different. I went through Nebraska, all very different than than Born in the USA. And then I finally came around to Born to Run and was like, wow, right? Wow. Born to Run is just so great, which is not a controversial opinion uh, and one that I'm sure that others will share even on this very podcast. So I had my sort of I'm from New Jersey. Springsteen is like Billy, Billy Joel, right? I mean, I mentioned Billy Idol, but Billy Joel is another voice that was just all over the freaking place in those days. And so I, I can't really conceive of music that doesn't include Springsteen as a large figure uh, as much as I would like to try to, if I'm being honest with myself. And then I developed a more sincere appreciation for his music later on, uh, which you can find in the Overthinking It video, uh, Albuquerque City, that we made for the last season of Breaking Bad, if you like. <laughs> um, but uh uh, for as a little side plot, but that's my gist. That's that's my my general approach. And I, I like both up tempo Springsteen and down tempo Springsteen. I like Glockenspiel Springsteen and folk music Springsteen. Uh, I, I owned his tracks book, whatever that was, with the with the words that he came out the coffee table book. Have you have you gone uh, to see Springsteen on Broadway? Springsteen on Broadway? Yeah, no, that show that was playing over the last year several times. It was uh, oh. oh well, he was on Broadway. He he sang songs and told stories. Uh, oh my goodness! You know. I saw Weird Al at like eight hundred dollars a pop. By the way, it was <laughs> like, yeah, incredibly it, difficult to get. It was yeah. Hamilton. It was Hamilton prices. You know, um, man, it's so appropriate because the Springsteen's doing that thing, and the meanwhile, Billy Joel is phoning it in month after month in Madison Square Garden, right? Just selling that out whenever he feels like trying not by. Mark, you saw Billy Joel at, at uh, Madison Square Garden. Was he phoning it in? Also, what do you think of Bruce Springsteen? He doesn't phone it in so much as he helicopters it in. Because he's, <laughs> He gets choppered in from his home, his like, vast mansion in Long Island, to uh, you know sit down and plunk down some stuff down on the keyboard. It's very entertaining, um, I will say. Um, I did see uh, Billy Joel in Madison Square Garden, and I would recommend it to anyone who's a fan of Billy Joel's music. We're not talking about Billy Joel. We're talking about the boss, Bruce Springsteen. Um, I, I relate to this movie for reasons that are obvious to people who know me, my, my backstory. But for those who don't, let me just kind of sketch it out. Um, imagine, if you will, a teenager born to immigrant parents living in a town that is a little bit on the outskirts, not really like the most hopping kind of place. And then he self-actualizes through American classic rock music uh, that is bewildering and foreign to his parents, um, and in particular, the music of Bruce Springsteen, the boss. Yes, I'm talking about both Javed in uh, the movie Blinded by the Light and Mark Lee, who grew up in uh, in Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, discovered all sorts of classic rock and self-actualized through that and found a lot of um, meaning and inspiration in in this music. Uh, in particular, yes, the album Born to Run. That was uh, my jam. That was just like amazing, mind-blowing, just like very expansive music. Um, and and it, like it, it touches on all sorts of like it like, checks off all the boxes of music that I like. Rock music, R&B music, actually musical theater as well. Um, there's an argument to be made that um, Springsteen's music share, uh, shares a lot with, with Broadway, which is appropriate, I suppose suppose, in his last, last career turn. Um, saw The Boss uh, two times in concert. Um, still, probably the uh, the last one in Giant Stadium was probably the, the, the best, uh, one of the best concerts I've ever seen. Um, did not see him on Broadway. Um, kind of the, the, the fire got out of my belly a little bit and, you know, it kind of um, allowed Springsteen to become sort of just part of the atmosphere, such as it were. But um, like uh, we experienced with the movie Rocket Man. And uh, to a lesser extent, the movie Yesterday, um, these movies have created some excitement and an occasion to revisit these catalogs and remind us why they're so vital. And well, the feeling really particular to this movie that we felt as young people, as teenagers, when we first heard this music and it really deeply affected us. So, yeah, love the boss. 
Matt? And I well, I guess yeah. I'm the least uh, I'm the least into it, mostly because I was listening to uh, female singer songwriters all through my teenage years, and I really didn't get into you know um, Billy Joel, Elton John, Bruce Springsteen, Bon Jovi. You know, I didn't I didn't get into like rock and roll per se. Until I met all of you guys, and it was your, uh, you know, <laughs> Our corrupting was, influence. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It was your your corrupting influence that uh, disrupted the pure sound of the acoustic guitar and human voice uh, in my ear. The the you know the the likes of Jewel and uh, no, I can't even think. I, I lapse into self-parody when I talk about this. But the, um, uh, you know, I probably listened to Born to Run Seriously, the record, uh, for the first time in my 30s, you know, and uh, at, at which point it was still awesome. It remains, you know, it remains awesome. And I don't, you know, I, I just, I, I have a different kind of experience growing up. And and so I I didn't. It it just didn't reach me in in quite the same way, but I but you know now I'm 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 here to tell you that its power is undiminished by time, and it its power is undiminished by when in your life you happen to, uh, you happen to come into contact with it. Uh, so tur- turning to uh, you know um, Javed and uh, his experience with Bruce Springsteen, I I like that it's his friend, his Sikh friend, who uh, who gives him a tape like a cassette tape you know and it's so it's so nice to see the like the physical media like handed handed to him and what he says is protect this with your life as though it's the you know a, a the a, a magical medallion right or like a magical object or a, a dark secret or something that's going to like you know bring down governments bring down the the sort of thatcherite crackdown on organized labor and and um sort of free him from the the uh strict confines of strict confines of the his home like i i uh I don't know. I I liked this movie a lot. I got uh, attached to it and and attached to the people and um you know, uh cried at several points during it. Um which I think says probably more about me than it does about the film, but it, the film managed to kind of orchestrate releases of tension uh, in such a way, and orchestrate kind of moments of moments of payoff in such a way that if you're you're inclined to cry, it it would uh, it makes them ha- it makes it happen for you, and uh, you know I found it I found it sort of emotionally transporting, um, a little emotionally unconvincing. Uh, I guess as well, um, especially at the uh, especially at the happy ending. You know, though though how how happy can it really be? Uh, Margaret Thatcher is still in in office, but this movie is a little bit Billy Elliot. It's a little bit uh, Rocket Man. It's a little bit um, Bend It Like Beckham. You know. It's oh, and that's a- who made it, right? Oh yeah, right. Of course, yeah. uh, it's a little bit. Um, I, I, it seems very on trend, and in a year where there's a lot of there are a lot of these films where it's just like, uh, well, it, it's something that happens in entertainment in a lot of industries where it's like, hey, we want that, we want the thing that everyone else is doing, but just a little different. You know, um, yeah, I can see why. I mean, it was a, it was a memoir. It's a it's a 
uh, real person's lived experience, and B, uh, the memoir has been around, has been kicking around for a while, but like, uh, you can see why this was the year that it got made, because it's, it's sort of similar enough uh, to, to a number of things that, uh, that have come out recently that seems like seems like the right time like it gets uh it, it at least in the sort of uh it's it's in the zeitgeist it's very on trend you know but you're talking about the movie yesterday right just to be really clear uh yeah yesterday um yeah which also features a south asian man living in the united kingdom who self-actualizes through classic rock to be really clear sure yeah, or the late night movie with uh, wh- who, which features uh, Mindy Kaling working for a British woman um, who, who self actualizes <laughs> through stand up comedy, or the movie you know like there there are a lot of sort of uh, uh, outsider self actualizing stories, and I I haven't the one I haven't seen is Yesterday, but they 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 all seem to end on the zone of like oh my god I can be myself and find acceptance in the larger group the tension between individual and society is is like magically resolved. And I'm not saying that's that's impossible. I'm, I'm getting a little too deep into uh, into my thoughts here, but like I'm not saying that's impossible. But I'm saying that no one in uh, no one in the movie seemed to have the psychological health to achieve what it would take to strike <laughs> that balance and to have it kind of magically appear out of nowhere. What did not did not strike me as very realistic. And also, I didn't care. <laughs> so so I, I would say the same thing with a slightly different framing, which is that the movie's final I won't call it its final act, because I would say that up and through much of what you would consider as the movie's third act, I think it remains credible. But there is an a coda on this movie that exists as a kindness, right, to the families that that is involved, and not a difficult one to comprehend, right? This is this is a movie. All movies that have that text at the end that tells you what happened to the people lack endings because if if the movie had an ending, it wouldn't need the text at the end explaining to you what happens to all the people. It would just be over. And this is also a story that doesn't really have an ending. It instead has the text afterward, and it has to do with the fact that you have to telescope time in different ways to get the movie to come in in a certain amount of time, and you're only seeing kind of one piece of a relationship that I'm sure evolved over many years. Uh, And so it has this coda where everybody is nice to each other and comes to an understanding that you could see as, you know, the author being nice to his family because such a thing is just understandably a good thing to do. Or an aspiration, like a hope that is maybe uh, given lie to by the the fact that this is a memoir and not a work of fiction in the sense that the people telling the story don't actually know what the story is about. Like they can tell you what they think the story is about, but they don't really know what the story is about. They just know that it's interesting and then other people also know that it's interesting. So I, I would say this. There's no point in the movie up until the very end where Javed is seen as an entirely reliable, authoritative source on everything that is happening. Mm. And at the end of the movie, Javed gives a speech which is positioned by the movie as him being the authoritative voice on everything that's happening. That is not it's not justified by the previous parts of the movie. And I think that if you kind of think of it in the context of Javed being 16 years old or however old he is, right, like it's okay that what Javed said doesn't really work. 
but yeah, it's a movie that stops rather than ends. I'll say that much. It has a bit of a it's a kind ending. It's a nice ending. It's a hopeful ending. And it's an ending that calls on all of us to be a little bit better. But it didn't seem particularly related to everything that came before it. Yeah. One particular gap in this movie and how it stops rather than ends is that, you know, Matt, you're saying that, you know, the, the movie's. It paints this positive image of how you can have your cake and eat it too, right? You can be an individual and part of society as well. You can be um, influenced by this rebellious American rock and roll and still be part of your loving Pakistani family, right? Uh, sure. Let's all let's all take that and and accept it for what it is. It doesn't address the gaping problem of being Pakistani in British society, <laughs> though. You know, surrounded by frankly a neo-Nazi movement to the point where people are freaking the young children are peeing through the mail slot. <laughs> into a person's home like shocking disgusting and vile to say nothing at all about march right of the like the charlottesville type uh white supremacist march uh you know in, in the neighborhood of the mosque that disrupts the wedding um these are like heinous terrible things and um you know they they move on from it and they don't circle back to address i don't think i mean there's um in the coda, right, we see that the, the so towards the end of the movie we see that the spray-painted graffiti again but that does not get wrapped up in a nice bow. This is frankly impossible to, I think in the scope of this movie, but it is definitely left hanging out there. Yeah. And I would also add to what you're saying, Mark, that one of the strengths of the movie is that it portrays the problems of adolescence and of family as being in parallel to those larger social problems. And, and they are (laughs) right. In the sense that the idea that you could resolve really simply resolve family dramas that have been going on for decades over the course of a couple of nice conversation is not realistic. And everybody out there has their own painful story. That's kind of what Bruce Springsteen is kind of about, right? Is that like everybody out there has the thing that's going on for them. Uh, how does that, the uh, little aphorism go? Everybody only shows you the highlight reel. You're the only one who sees your own behind the scenes, right? You're the only one who sees the own kind of backstage footage of your life. Mm. And so the movie I think is strong when it's, drawing kind of artistic and thematic parallels among its various levels of subject matter. Uh, And in that sense, it's being honest in that, yeah, you know, there are certain ways in which having this sort of overbearing father is kind of like dealing with Nazis, right? (laughs) This this Jew-obsessed man, right, who is obsessed with it. I mean, it's it's all there in the movie, right? Like, and I'm not saying, let me rephrase for the, okay, so first of all, it's possible you haven't seen this movie and you're listening to this podcast. So let's let's break it down just a tad bit and I'll hand it back to you in a second, Mark, but uh, I just want to cash this out. So you have the teenage boy who is the, he was born in England from uh, Pakistani parents who moved there because the father wanted a better life for his kids. And the mother didn't necessarily want to go, but went along because in Pakistani society, the father is the decision maker. And also because you get the sense that she does actually trust him. Uh, They've built a relationship over time, even though it started with an arranged marriage. Uh, So they're on the same team, right? But, but, uh, But they've moved to Britain and this kid is growing up. And because of the social organization of their family, the father is a real patriarch. All the money from everybody in the family that they make in any sort of full-time or part-time job all goes to him so that he can pay the bills that go out 
to that are incurred by you know the the common experience of the family. Uh, there's curfews on everybody. There's he has full knowledge of where everybody goes. You're not allowed to date. You're not allowed to talk to people that he doesn't approve of. Uh, and, and it's really this. It's beyond that sense of being controlling to really this philosophical approach of the family unit as being kind of in service to the patriarchal energy, right? Like to that that that's sort of what family is is the way that the movie portrays it. And 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 this is seen as like pretty nasty and cruel. And, uh, you know, the ways in which he comes down, he makes his wife work the 20, 20 hour days or something crazy like that. I mean, the number 20 is in there. It's the number of bundles that she has to sew by hand in order to make up for the fact that he loses his job. And so he loses his financial contribution, but maintains his authority. And the movie is around the crisis that happens in the family when the father can no longer provide for the family. And it's not just a crisis of the family members resenting the control that he exercises without being able to pay for things. It's a crisis of his own insecurity in economic difficulty, which he shores up by being extra harsh on the people around him. And in all of these ways that I'm talking about, it's narratively very similar to rising nativist movements in times of economic downturn, like, you know, certain parts of the United States are experiencing right now, like Britain under Thatcher, right? Like Britain now, right? Like India, right? Under Modi, right? Like there's that there's this nativist push, this push of like, I'm in control. And and if you're, you know, if this is my way or the highway that can go along with feeling uh, loss or embarrassment or a lack of control of your whatever former dominance you felt you had by nature has been questioned by circumstance and you're backlashing against it and you're taking out on the people around you. And I think that the movie, there's a reason that the movie has like the father come to blows with a Nazi at a neo-fascist rally and the son see the father with the blood of a Nazi punch on his face and recognize the sort of complex intertwine between the people that he sees as oppressing him and then the, uh, the people at large, right, who are oppressing his people and how it's all nested within, his, within itself. Um, so, I, I mean, I would say in that sense, the father is like a Nazi. <laughs> also, the father thinks that Jews are good at school and you should you should copy copy their style of studying and their, their style of work, which I think is a joke, which is meant to tie together the idea that, like, yes, he's overbearing, but he likes Jews, unlike the Nazis who are overbearing and don't like Jews, <laughs> which, which which sort of deals with a certain sort of baseline kindness or callousness or cruelty, rather, or nastiness to the people around you as a an accompanying condition to the state of demanding the conformity of others, right? Well, which we, is sort of like a... It would, yeah. It's like, you know, like, follow the model minority, you know? Like, that's... Yeah. Uh, um, that's the the lesser known uh, uh, Wizard of Oz uh, song that did make it into into the soundtrack after they wrote "Follow the Yellow Brick Road," but the the. Um you know the idea that like oh no do we want to do good we want to do good like them so it's animated by by in some sense uh admiration even though it it you know falls short of a a sort of full woke accounting you know uh because it's a it's a a speech act and is literally violence except it's not because violence is violence and we see some <laughs> of it uh we see some of it in in this film what what i mean what what strikes me is that the 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 film is about a sort of embrace of vulnerability, right? Like that that mm-hmm. when the 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 native the nativist movements are about a kind of a rageful um, 
you know, uh, response to kind of not accept vulnerability, not let it, it happen to you, your economic precarity, your uh, diminished status, however you however you conceive of it, to kind of keep it away, to keep, to keep it from happening to you and kind of do anything you can to not have to experience it and not have to kind of live out uh, the consequences of, you know, what whatever has happened. Um, and kind of on a, uh, and on a personal level, right, it's about kind of uh, losing authority, right, losing your, your status as the main breadwinner, losing your status as like, losing your status as a, as a kind of all-powerful parent where, you know, you, you for, for young children, your parents are just it. They're just the end-all and be-all. And there's no, you know, there's no kind of world outside them. And then as, as your kids uh, go through adolescence and become young adults and they start to separate, they, they and start to kind of form identities of their own, they realize that you're either full of it or that you can be full of it. You're fallible. You're not, you're not perfect, right? And like the most hurtful thing that Javed does is kind of lay into his father about what a failure he is because he can't, uh, he can't provide for his family. There's, it's a, you know, real failure of compassion on his part, though, you, you know, you just see how he's driven to it by the, the, you know, constant authoritarian grinding down that, that, uh, his father visits upon him all the time. Um, you know, driven by his own insecurity, by his own sense of, of vulnerability and trying to set his son up for being, uh, for being, uh, to, to be invulnerable, to kind of not face, uh, the uncertainty that the, you know, uh, that the, the father's faced, right? And like there, there is a, uh, uh, there is a power, I think, that comes in. Uh, there's a power, and it comes in kind of embracing your vulnerability. Uh, and, yeah, and like not not just because you stop being an a hole, <laughs> but uh, but also because it forms the basis for it forms the basis for real relationships, which turn out to be very nourishing when things when things are hard. And that's you know that's kind of where it nets out at the at the stop of the movie. Right. Okay. So embracing vulnerability, right, and not being an a hole. Um, not being like the neo-Nazis and not being like uh, the, the, the rageful dad and not being like Javed who, um, who tells off his dad in a really negative way. Um, the, the alternative to all those things, I believe, in this music is presented through the lyrics of Springsteen songs, uh-huh. right? This is not that much of a stretch, though, right? In, in particular, I'm going back to um, when Javed first puts the Born in the USA, that album on, in, in his Walkman. The first song, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's Dancing in the Dark. And that is, I think, a pretty telling choice in that because it talks about, you know, someone who's in a bad spot, right? Um, I get up in the evening. I ain't got nothing to say. Um, I come home in the morning. I go to bed feeling the same way. Uh, man, I'm just bored with myself. Uh, so, and so forth. You can't start a fire without a spark. This gun's for hire, even if we're just dancing in the dark. I mean, like, there's this, like, undercurrent of sadness and despair and rage in there. Um, but then it all gets sublimated into dancing in the dark, that's my read of it. At least then that's how things start. And then we can talk about where it goes from there. Yeah. So there's the idea that there's a performance ritual that brings you into an acceptable sort of regard with your pain. Uh, and that, I mean, Matt knows more about this than I do because he listens to Tori Amos and I don't. But uh, <laughs> no, that's a little joke, a little joke joke. But um, but, you know, what? that's what it is. Right. Is that like uh that the river is a big song for that, that that's in the movie, right? Which is that it's, it's about dealing with the pain that's associated with his, uh, did you guys get the preview for the Springsteen documentary movie 
exhibition no. when you saw this movie? I, I did. A, yeah, that was very confusing, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so when I saw a pre, yeah, it was a little confusing because it feels like part of the movie, right? And it, it's for like a special Springsteen concert that you can see at a movie theater. And he tells the story behind the song The River, which also appears in Blinded by the Light, which is about his sister who married young and the kind of pain and difficulty that she and her husband had in their relationship. And, and this this idea of diving into the river, which is also the sort of loss of youthful uh, freedom and youthful exuberance and youthful innocence as you are immediately thrust into the pains and responsibilities of adulthood uh, is is, uh, is sort of part of this idea of like, well, at least we can we can somehow confront and metabolize what's happening. But it's like a fast metabolism. It's like a it's not it's not like a slow digestion in the belly of the sarlacc over the course of thousands of years. It's like you're burning it like you're on the treadmill, right? You're you're going through your your feelings. Uh, and you're confronting them in that manner. I mean, I don't know. What are some of the other Springsteen songs in this movie and how they deal with it? The, the other one that's really important is Promised Land, mm-hmm. um, which uh, a recurring musical motif, um, like we hear in instrumental versions throughout the music. And I think it also underscores um, the big speech at the end, right? We hear like a piano version of it, uh, which oddly enough sounds like diegetically being played on a piano in the school auditorium. <laughs> but it's, I, I, it I, is I, the sort of thing that you'd get is like a little piano music at a, like an awards, a graduation ceremony or yeah. an awards ceremony, right? Yeah, but let me hear some of the lyrics of the song, right? Um, some, sometimes I feel so weak, I just want to explode, explode and tear this whole town apart. Take a knife and cut this pain from my heart. Find somebody itching for something to start. Now, one path that could go down is being like, join your local neo-Nazi movement. But <laughs> instead, what we get is the dogs on Main Street howl because they understand. If I could reach one moment to my hands, Mr. I ain't a boy. No, I'm a man and I believe in a promised land. Right. So in other words, in spite of all the uh, the pain and suffering and hope there, uh, the, sorry, in spite of all the pain and suffering, there is this sense of hope. Um, and also just sort of, you know, uh, the, the standing up for yourself. Uh, I'm ain't a boy. I ain't a, ain't a boy. No, I'm a man. I believe in a promised land. One thing to understand about Springsteen that I think interacts with everything you're saying, Mark, is that he's a bar musician, especially those up-tempo songs from when he was really popular uh, before he kind of really got folksy later on in his career are from his history playing bars with his own band with, you know, and being alongside the guys like Southside Johnny, the other bands that he had in association uh, before he had the East Street Ensemble put together. They all take place in these spaces that are refuges uh, for younger people who are in these kinds of situations. And I almost it almost makes me want to talk about having a room of your own. Right. It's almost yeah. like a kind of a Virginia yeah. <laughs> Wolf moment. But I mean, I think I read once that this I remember a great social media post somewhere. I forget what the source was, but it was that teenagers are cool because they're oppressed. Right. And it's sort of like there's an analogous situation for youngsters looking to have their own space that you can associate with other kinds of groups that don't have their own space, don't have their own voice. And hey, look, this brings us back to the themes of the show of the of the movie, which are around, you know, keep your head down, Javit. You know, we don't want to attract notice, right? Like, are you going to be allowed to put out your call to prayer or are they going to force you to close the mosque? Is is a metaphor in the movie also for, you know, are you going to be able to talk to your dad about how you really feel or are you going to have to shut up because he's in charge, right? Uh, and, And this kind of stuff is all, it's all sort of pattern wise related to each other. But yeah, but Springsteen is, it dwells in those, uh, sanctuary spaces. 
uh, right? Which I say on purpose, right? <laughs> you know, every 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 city Springsteen plays in is a sanctuary city. <laughs> I'll say that right now because you know it's it the Badlands is out there, and the J and the the bar area, the jam area where Springsteen is playing is where you come to get away from your problems. I mean, it, we've joked about Billy Joel a couple of times today already. Uh, but, you know, the piano man at the bar, right? If we're talking about kind of this retro 80s revival classic rock, uh, a lot of it is this idea of like the bar, the club, right? Like the rock club, the jukebox, all of these kind of spaces where rock music is a thing that's experienced in a social context uh, of kind of like that's a little bit subaltern and removed from the way that people live when they're out in public. Uh, and, and I think that's cool in this case also because teenagers at school are like the or example of this, right? Where even, you know, we, we see we even see in all of our fictions about it that the high school is its own universe, which has about six people in it, right? There's Screech, there's Slater, there's Jesse, there's Kelly, there's Zach, and there's Lisa, and nobody else is in the school, right? Um, and, but it's like a private world, uh, and, and it's a place where things get negotiated that can't be negotiated in the public world. And so maybe that's one way in which Springsteen is particularly apt for these sorts of experiences of of subaltern groups. Uh, I mean, I only want to speak to your experience, Mark, uh, as as somebody from I would venture to say a, a subaltern group, right? In the sense that like there's no clear uh, identity that you felt like you could latch on when you were growing up, right? Oh, um, that, that's putting it lightly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't want to put it strongly. It's not my story to tell. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting that it's like the the two guys take over the radio station and f- make it a Springsteen space. Uh, I'm not saying that that's something that's in- incorporated in the movie, but it resonates through common aesthetic features with Springsteen's music. Well, to be clear, they take over the radio studio and they make the entire school and then by extension their entire city a Springsteen space. <laughs> yes. Right. Oh, talk about that that whole thing. That's amazing, right? That whole sequence. Sure, yeah. Okay, so you know in this movie, right, there's going to be this thunderous born to run sequence where there's just going to be like this outpouring of exuberance and the sense that you can break out of the constraints that you have, right? You know, other songs that we mentioned before have, you know, speak more about just like straight up acknowledging uh, the pain and something like the river is just like, ugh, life sucks, life sucks, um, but not born to run. Uh, tramps like us baby were born to run right we can we can get out of this town and so on and so forth and what we see in the movie is like it is a pretty literal um uh depiction of this um but one that still delivers a lot of emotional catharsis right you know so there's like that kinetic uh fast movement of running through uh through the school and then out through the town and then you know kind of uh having people look upon them with bewilderment as like why are they running around um really key to this making this work is the communal dance sequence Right. Where they join up with most notable with like very notably a group of uh, African the, uh, dancers of African descent um, and, uh, and, and like a, an, an, an older Pakistani lady uh, disapproves of it and then chases them off and then they're off run, <coughs> running again. And finally, they reach the outskirts of town. They, they, they've broken out and they're in um, they're in a safe space. I, the, all that and, and that really. That was one of those moves, just moments there that really like emotionally transported me, as we were very fond of saying. I don't know what you guys got uh, got anything else out of that scene. Yeah, it was sequence, great. So I, I related it. I related it to the um, the dance sequences in, in Rocket Man, right? Which were a little more prevalent in the early part of the movie in Rocket Man than than they were in the later part of the movie. But where the kind of um, 
the the it's the it's the sort of hope of of it's the kind of communal aspect of of music coming together and how having someone articulate in a in a really compelling and kind of catchy and like uh you know rockin' way um your problems or your experience can be a can be a basis for kind of like uh, community, right? And the, the and the thing that feels good about it is that you know you're not alone. You know, the thing that that feels good about it is that you can kind of go and dance. Uh, you know, and there's a there's a um, uh, there's another dance where the the younger sister goes to a daytime dance party. Um, you know, ditches school, I guess, and goes to a, a daytime dance party. And that's like, you know, the, the thing is like, we can, we can sort of be ourselves. And like, one of the things that, that music does for you, whether it's because it kind of slips you out of the rational or it like speaks to a more primitive part of you or whatever, it, 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 uh, it sort of, it, it, it takes you back to a place where we're, where we're all just people and we're all kind of the same. And that's, uh, you know, I thought, I thought it was a beautiful thing. I thought it was a beautiful thing as well. I also liked, I liked the they were met, they were choreographed enough, but sort of messy and you know not not super slick. I mean, there was slick dancing in the like the dance crew dancing on the street, but they were supposed to be really good dancers. They were a dance crew. It's right there in the name. Uh, but when the you know the picket line of of you know unemployed auto workers right uh, does the yeah in in Born to Run, um, you know it's a, it's a little it's a little sloppy as it you know as it should be and that it that it kind of expresses a expresses a thing about kind of community and a thing about togetherness rather than being a uh rather than being so slickly produced this is going to sound really uh, out of left field but whenever i see a music sequence done in a movie really well that ties themes together and also connects the audience with the experience of the characters. Um, I think about the prime example of how this is not done well in movies. And that is one of our favorite movies to talk about on this podcast, suicide squad. Mm. Uh, I don't think I got to join the podcast (laughs) where we talked about this, but like you remember at the end where like the beginning of Bohemian Rhapsody just plays for no reason at all. (laughs) It just stops like in the, in the, in the jailbreak sequence. I mean, yeah, that's that's not, that's, yeah. Like they bought the rights, they better. Oh, okay. well I a know, right? Too. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's um, that, that's how not to do it. This, 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 the Born to Run sequence is is, is how to do it. Um, and that was your Suicide Squad, suicide squad movement moment for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Purple Lamborghini. Uh, so uh, yeah, those scenes. It's like, are 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 you understanding it as? Javed's. This is how Javed sees the world when he is listening to Springsteen. Or is it that you're supposed to understand that everybody in the world is having their own sort of experience that's motivated by music? And Springsteen happens to be the lens that we're looking at it through because we're seeing Javed's experience of it. Like like one scene that really strikes me that I feel like is related is the scene where Javed goes to the daytimer. He goes to the Bangara hangout, the dance party, uh, and and he puts his headphones in and he's listening to Springsteen while his sister and all of the other uh, you know, subcontinental kids in this area in, in Luton are are dancing to the Bangara. Um, and he, he sees them dancing while he's listening to the Springsteen. And in doing that, he understands it, even though that's not what they hear. And then he takes his headphones off and he hears what they're listening to. And there's this sort of moment of recognition where he thinks, oh, right, they're getting out of what they're doing, what I'm getting out of what I'm doing. And I, while I can't really get out of what they're doing, you know, what they're getting out of it. 
I can understand that our experiences are analogous. Like I can't necessarily bridge over and enjoy Bangra as much as they do because Springsteen is my favorite. That's what speaks to me. But I can recognize that everybody has something like this. Uh, I mean, that's what being blinded by the light is, right, is being so impressed and so thrilled by your experience of this kind of of thing, this sort of transcendent reality that you assume that it's the only reality that exists and you can't see other people. And by the Uh, way, like speaking of that, like speaking of everyone likes their own music, uh, I feel like the principal of his school, of his college where he's taking his A-levels deserves a, uh, like an award for (laughs) educator of the year for the, 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 absolutely appropriate discipline she meets out to javed after he breaks into the to the radio station it's like well promise not to do it again all right hope that's the last i I hear of that that was exactly the right like yes it wasn't a thing to do and yet no one cares and no one was harmed by it so we're just gonna shake hands and walk away friends okay guys that's uh I love that. There there was a little bit of dangerous mindsing uh in in this movie which wasn't necessarily the the best part, but at least the at least the teacher character wasn't super angelic all the time. Um you know, at least she was frustrated by, you know, what was a sort of frustrating thing. I mean, teenagers are frustrating under the best of circumstances. And like when he was being sullen and, and, you know, self-centered and stuff, like, it's not like she was like, Oh, it's okay. She was, you know, annoyed by it. Um, but she, she still did enter him into a, uh, uh, she still did enter him into an essay contest and get him a trip to New Jersey. To Monmouth College, which is so great. <laughs> the home of the boss. Can't think of I a better reason to visit the U.S. of A. <laughs> I worked with a bunch of people from Monmouth College at the Applebee's in Paramus. <laughs> That's hey, great. Pete, that, that was a real moment, yeah. Hey, Pete, these kids are coming into New Jersey so that they can see Bruce Springsteen's hometown. <laughs> I could well, think of no better reason. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to America. I salute you. <laughs> you, know? you know, you think that's the welcome that all immigrants get at the border of the United States of America. Oh, right. Well, should what, be, right? Too soon? <laughs> too soon? <laughs> it's only been happening for centuries. What, too soon? Well, I mean, this is, again, this is all aspirational, right? Like, is, this yeah, is... it's a Fantasia. This movie is a, yeah. is a, is a Fantasia. And that's, and actually should be, should be evaluated on that merit, not, not pooped on because, of, because of that. So I, I don't mean to, to be. Do you want to go into that a little bit more, what that means? Oh, I guess. Not that there's like floating whales uh, and, and, uh, and right. broomsticks. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's when, um, when Javid cuts the sewing machine in half, that makes two sewing machines and his mother can sew twice as fast. And when <laughs> He cuts it again. There are four sewing machines. No, it's 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 exactly what I said. It's there's a lot of wish fulfillment. There's a lot of sort of power fantasy. I mean, or vulnerability fantasy, or what you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's a but there's a lot of fantasy uh, that happens in in this movie, and a lot of things that are like um, you know, a lot of things that are like in the words of of the psalmist, like every valley is made a plain, every mountain is leveled. You know, the the there are a lot of things that are made smooth that are not quite as smooth in real life and we talked about kind of the ending or the the stop of the movie where the kind of the everyone performs a sufficient kindness right at the same time which is a kind of timing problem in relationships that doesn't usually work out that way 
and the kind of the balance, the kind of knife's edge balance of, of self and society, of obligation to family and obligation to one's own identity that like, you know, never quite works out that as good in practice. And like the, the sort of like the, well, welcome to the United States, Mr. Javed, like is, um, is, uh, Again, is another one of those kind of kind of wish fulfillment mo- moments. Of course, and it's a, it's a it's a film in which words appear projected on walls as the characters dance in front of them, or do. Uh, uh, it's it's a film in which like uh, the kids listening to the Thunder Road and warbling on his headphones and singing along to it, like not particularly great, and that that still inspires everyone to dance along to the music behind him and for the girls to swoon. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, a, it's a it's a film in which it, and and uh, what I'm saying is that the least the least uh, the least realistic thing uh, in a film where words literally float in the air is treatment uh, treatment of immigrants at the border of the United States. Continue, oh, Pete. Oh. <laughs> so what what, well, do you, what did you think of the trip to to your home state? Well, here I'll, I'll say one other thing, which is that. In addition to the movie portraying fantasy moments, and when we're talking about memoirs, it's interesting to consider the selection bias that goes into telling a true story. Because just because it looks like a fantasy doesn't mean it didn't happen. And But just because it might have happened to this one guy doesn't mean it happens to everybody. And maybe that's why the story gets selected. There's an interesting, interesting uh, intersection between... Uh, the thing that actually happened and is, is, is an aberration, but which you wish were normal versus the thing that didn't happen, but you wish would happen and you wish would come into existence. As for my visit to, to as for his visit to New Jersey, it's absolutely hilarious. And in fact, the more you know about New Jersey, the more hilarious it is, right? The idea that you would go to freehold and stand by the sign and take a picture of yourself in front of free, the sign that you're in freehold, right? Uh, is, is itself funny. Um, I, I feel like when I was in France and I was trying to explain to the hotel concierge that it was funny that there was a Slipknot concert happening across the street. <laughs> it's like, oh, because, of course, you know, I'm, I'm a big guy. I got a beard and I was wearing a baseball cap and a black T-shirt from a custom car company. And they asked me if I was in town for the concert. And this was in Nîmes, France, across the street from the oh big Roman amphitheater. God, this there. Is so funny. And yeah. And Slipknot was playing two days from now. And I, I was like, oh, no, but I really look like I should be right. <laughs> and they're like, huh? And I'm like, oh, that's hilarious. Like, why? And I was like, you see, in America, Slipknot is funny. <laughs> now, that's not to bash people who like Slipknot. Don't get me wrong, because clearly they're traveling all over the world, living the life. But like, there is something that's kind of funny about Slipknot, in particular, the idea of Slipknot playing an ancient Roman amphitheater, probably because I, I, I think of the angry energy in Slipknot and even the name Slipknot as being like, very low decorum, right? And even in a sort of casual and, and anodyne sort of way uh, in terms of how it's experienced like through the angry kid in high school, right? I think I said, so for Americans, and I'm trying to say as much of it in French as I can, but I can't say much of it in French, right? It's like for Americans who are about 35, when they were 17, if they were really angry, they listened to Slipknot, right? Um, but So that, that's fine in a similar sort of way. Yes, if you like Slipknot, that's awesome. Slipknot is very good at what they do. Uh, Freehold and Bruce Springsteen are very special parts of a very powerful cultural story. It is also not a town you go to to brag that you visited it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, if you're from Freehold and you like it, that's awesome, right? Great. More power to you. I got lots of family down there in that area, up around, even around Sandy Hook and Red Bank and 
out into the towns around. Uh, you know, I got you, family. If you're going to drive County. to those towns, how do you get there? <laughs> well, first of all, you don't take the turnpike. You take the parkway. Because uh-huh. if you're from New Jersey, you take the parkway. Right? Like, that's how you do it. Um, are you saying that we you hit the road in, in – uh, you 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 blast into mansions of glory and suicide machines. <laughs> what you're saying? No, I was just saying. Do you take the the what the the what are the numbers of the freeways there and and what are the intersections of them? That's what I was <laughs> it's saying. the Parkway, Matt. We don't number it. Oh wow, that's <laughs> everyone a... else in New Jersey. You don't number the roads. You number the exits, right? Oh, uh, and that's, yeah, that's that's why Bruce Springsteen comes from there. Is... You're you're a poetic people. <laughs> Indeed. Hey, this is actually driven into the topic of Fantasia, right? Because uh, Pete, correct me if I'm wrong, but they probably had to drive to get around to all these places. Do you think a couple of 18-year-old British kids could have rented a car? What did they do? Hitchhike? They probably had a miserable. They would have had a miserable time. I think really. I mean, what, what it's it pretty clear to. that they rode the New Jersey Transit commuter rail, which is quite extensive in the area. <laughs> they even have actual footage of the that's, actual. New that's Jersey fair. Transit. Yeah, that that's. I did forget about that particular detail. But would that have been realistic? Like you know, a couple of teenagers to get around um, from point A to point B, and like, and also like, would there have been enough interesting stuff for them to see? So like to make it a real like spring scene well, pilgrimage. That's the joke is that it's not interesting. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's like, there you like, go. It's right. Like, hey, look, it's it's the it's the uh, intersection of Tenth Avenue and East Street, right? Which is only interesting because it is the intersection of Tenth Avenue and East Street. There is nothing else interesting about it. Well, and it's why they got the, to be clear. It's why that where the East Street Band got its name, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, so it has historical, and there's I'm sure there's a lot of places that are have historical significance like that. But this is also sort of part of the mythos of Springsteen. Like I would I would almost to, so there are three saints in new jersey music that i that i think of right there's there's springsteen there's bon jovi and there's sinatra and and the places where sinatra grew up first of all they don't exist anymore because he grew up real poor in parts of new jersey that are now fairly rich um but the idea that like where 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 sinatra grew up you could say is like oh man that's like hallowed ground because sinatra is the kind of of person that when i think of you know new jersey i think of like that's that's sort of like a patron saint. Right. Uh, and then when you think of Bon Jovi, the place where Bon Jovi grew up, it would be like, oh, that's nice. Right. Like, oh, look, it's the school Bon Jovi went to. Oh, look, it's a haagen Right. Like, I love Bon Jovi much more than other people, but I would not be particularly impressed to drive by the high school that he went to, um, even if it's where the, you know, the talent show that got him started in music happened. But for spring scene, it's in the middle. Right. It's like there. And this might be a generational thing. It might be about the passage of time. It might be about the gravitas of their types of music. But like I don't I I think of generally like the general area of the Jersey Shore as having a certain sacredness and solemnity. And I think of the sort of boardwalks as being the sacred places, the places where Springsteen would be making music out in the bars and out in the places where people hang out. As to where he grew up, it's like maybe it's partly that Springsteen doesn't really sing a lot of songs about his own childhood. Right. Like and, and his own childhood isn't really part of the mythos. That that's actually I've been going in a very roundabout way. But what I've come around to is like I struggle to think of any Springsteen song that is about Springsteen having a rough time as a child, which he did. What? Yeah, which presumably. Definitely right? did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For real. For sure. For definitely. And, and they're all they're all being interpolated by somebody else's experience. He tells stories with characters in them rather than personal narratives a lot of the time. 
Uh, he uses a lot of phantasmagoria and kind of shared symbolism, which is part of what makes his music accessible to a wide variety and his lyrics accessible to a wide variety of different uh, points of reference in terms of people. Um, you know, so he talks about Bruce Springsteen doesn't talk about his own experience being a lonely child, but he talks about a cowboy, right, like wandering through the Badlands, right? Like, and then everybody who has that kind of experience can can access it through the ways that Springsteen is is painting it with broad brush, right? Um, you might even say that that Springsteen is a little bit part of the Nicolas Cage philosophical artistic project because he's not presenting you really with reality; he's presenting you with truth. Uh, and he's and he's saying things in such a way that it makes them true. And there's a correspondence between your experience of that and what you hear. But but the but the sort of observational reality is not present in either levels of this. Uh, I don't know. I'm going way overboard on this. It's Dylan-esque, right? It's it's yeah. he's talking about he he's talking in symbol. But but, you know, the, the thing that makes Dylan great and that makes Springsteen great is he manages to make the symbols personal rather than than making them kind of like abstract and meaningless. Right, right, right. That's true. That's true. I mean, Mark, what about you? What, what do you where's your can you have a as deep a deeper connection with Springsteen than I do, other than just the geography of New Jersey and the way that it plays into all this? I mean, the big way is, is that I also bring up is New Jersey is a place where people drive. So you get away like running and going away uh, is, is a big part of life in New Jersey, uh, trying to find a space for yourself in the most densely populated state of the union, which has, you know, more miles driven on it every year than you would take to go back and forth to the sun twice, uh, you know. Uh, that's what that's all well and good the sort of geographical context but like what about what, how you resonate with springsteen's music mark and how it resonates with his journey his pilgrimage really to go see it and to kind of to sort of experience being in that sense of place uh what does it confirm like like if you're not somebody who lives in and among the new jersey mythos as a reality then what is it what does springsteen's new jersey mean to you I don't. I, it's a tough question, uh, and it is never. I've never had that desire to go to Asbury Park and you know, and and, and the Stone Pony and and see the places he grew up and do the sort of thing that that Javed did. Um, even though, right, like um, I consider one of the great. Uh, one of the powerful things about Springsteen's music is the specificity of his references. You know, some of which are real places, some of which aren't. Right, um, and you know that that it it gives the music a lot of a, a lot of um heft maybe that's quite that's maybe that's the right word right you know rather than just like a generic song about um, um i have this i'm having this hard time and i want to break out of this place and 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 go get the girl and stuff like that right we get wendy we get the the wrapping legs around these velvet rims and strapping hands across my engine like the 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 the, the ferocity and the um uh strength of the of the lyrics combined with the bombasticness of the music um just like it, it kind of it sets the imagination on fire and um it, it makes the music extremely powerful for me um and you know the the places that he sings about could be um in uh the panhandle of florida for all that matter right it wouldn't want me make me want to go over there and so that's that i i understand like why with the shows I'm going to New Jersey and why it's so important for them. And, you know, when they're in the stone pony and they have this, this powerful moment and things like that. But I, I can't help but feeling like I would be disappointed if I went on that sort of pilgrimage to, to see the places of, of my creator. That's not that satisfying of, a, of an answer to hear, but that's just like, um, uh, that, that's my take on it. Like, I'm, I'm glad they got in the movie. It makes a lot of sense why they came to the United States and why they found it such a powerful 
experience. But I feel like in real life, someone uh, it might not be quite so affecting. Mm. I mean, one thing that I should add about Freehold, I don't want to make fun of it. Um, Freehold is like pretty minority now, like as in uh, it's like 20 percent Latin. Uh, I mean, it's it's like 13 percent. I'm like looking at the statistics now. Um, yeah, it's only 65 percent white. Uh, and so, like, there's been a big increase in diversity in freehold over the course of the last 20 to even 15 years. Um, and so it's interesting. One of the things that's interesting about New Jersey, and I, I, I wonder whether other people experienced it like this or whether it's just me, is that because you're you're in northern New Jersey, you're in proximity to New York City, but you're not in New York City. So you don't experience the city. The city is, I mean, you go there sometimes, but the city is this kind of like node that that has its own sort of thingness that you see and feels kind of like it has a coherence to it uh, that is its own. And then you only experience what happens as a result of the existence of the city. And one of those big things that you experience is you experience the immigrant waves and you can see them like town to town and, and not just the recent ones, like the ones going Going back to the early 1800s, it's like, OK, like this is a town that was German for a while. And then this town was Irish for a while. And now this town is largely Mexican. And it's like, OK, well, when when other people move to your town, you move away because everybody has like white flight and and everybody is like the suburbs are always shifting and self-segregating. Right. Um, because of structural racism and other things. But that's just because of the way that, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to just I don't want to just chalk it up to the sense of it being wrong. I also want to point out that it's the culture of the place, that it's something that you can see and and that it's it's not it's not something invisible. It's not like, um, you know, everybody lives in this other place that's far away. Everybody lives like four blocks over, like over the state, the, the town line. You go from one town to the other. And and all of a sudden the the community and when they arrived in the United States changes drastically. And I mean, I'm talking mostly about that first like 10 to 15 miles as you're coming out of New York City. Um, and uh, and so so you never necessarily your family isn't necessarily going to stay in one particular place for all that long. A lot of the time, um, you know, people will move from suburb to suburb. They'll move in or out of cities. Uh, and, and also the idea that like Springsteen isn't like a native son of Freehold, right? Like like his family lived there and he he's from New Jersey and we're very proud of him as being from New Jersey. But it's not like, oh, man, he really exemplifies the like New Jersey ethnic group, right? Like he really he's like he really exemplifies the traditional music of the people that that make New Jersey their own. Like like who? Right. It's not even like there's a fiction to layer over the natives. Like it's just it changed every like 30 years. Right. So so, you know, because it's this is a very densely populated place where proximity to New York City is very desirable uh, and where the prices of real estate like fluctuate wildly with every economic cycle. So like, you know, there's not that sense of like, you know, he's not Blake Sheldon, right? Like he's not like, I don't even know where Blake Sheldon is from, but I know that wherever he's from, the people there are probably like, he's from here, right? In a very different way than Bruce Springsteen is from New Jersey. And I think that also feeds into the idea that like, it's his hometown too, right? Like, like we've been talking a lot about Springsteen, but to talk about Javed, like, right? Like um, Luton is Javed's hometown. What does a person from Luton look like? It looks like Javed because, you know, um, because I want, you know, because everything that I say is said by an award winner because I won an award, right? Like that's the, the like Ron Swanson trivialization of the question, right? It's like, it's like uh, Luton is a town that's kind of like this outside of London, waves of immigrants coming through, but 
it has a population that's been there for a really long time. Uh, and so that makes the situation like a bit different. But it does make sense that um, that that Javed's experience with Springsteen would have a certain sort of resonance. I mean, I'm just sort of you I'm really digging deep into sort of new historicist interpretation here, right, to to sort of assume that the personal history of Springsteen is like even relevant to the interpretation is not something that you should just accept uncritically, right? Like, well, you know, since Springsteen lived in an immigrant town, it makes sense that immigrants in other towns would identify with Springsteen because music is defined by the fact that it's associated with the immigrant experience, regardless of whether Springsteen himself was first generation or not. And he probably wasn't. Uh, I actually don't know when Springsteen's family came to the United States. Um, I mean, if you want to compl- complicate all of this, right? That's all fine and good. You know, yeah. it, 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 we, if we want to paint that narrative, we can. We, we just did, right? Yeah. But then, you know, that it gets more interesting, right? Because like the music of Spring Scene, right? What you hear is this like really interesting amalgam of I think I mentioned it before, right? Uh, uh, you know, uh, like fifties rock, sixties R and B, and then just like I, I don't even know what to call the rest of the stuff, right? If you hear your jungle land, like it's it's so bombastic, it's almost like Jim Steinman esque, right? right? Yeah. Um, and so like you know he's borrowing from a lot of a lot of different things. It's not from a specific musical tradition. Um, he you could say that he appropriates um, certain uh, aspects of African American music. Well, I mean every rock musician, every white rock musician, not every non black rock musician for the last 75 years has been doing that so you know him as well right uh, i'm not I saying mean, that there's anything wrong with that it's just part of the uh, of the interesting story like where he comes from and where he's going yeah i mean appropriate is is apt of course but so is collaborate because that's another thing that Springsteen music is characteristic of is that he has a lot of musicians that are part of his crew that have been around for a long time that each have very specific stamps that they put on the music. I mean, Clarence on the saxophone, nobody had greater reverence for him than Springsteen himself. Right. And so, it's right. super integral to that sound. And it brings like, uh, for lack of a better word, some authenticity to the R&B aspects of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so, I mean, again, it's like, you know, yeah, he's it's not actual R&B music, but you get the sense that Springsteen arrived at it by actually knowing people who played it, which is a little bit of a different path. But then also it's like, well, that part of this movie is that people aren't aware of their relationship really i mean maybe that's the issue with the sort of teacher plot and the love plot in this movie is that it's where people become aware of their place in the historical narrative which we only know in hindsight really um and and whereas javed and his father and his sister and matt who we haven't really talked about who's a really interesting character and matt's relationship with javed are all predicated on them not really understanding the full extent of what's happening. Like, like take this, right? Like Javed says to Matt, ha ha, you think that the future is synths, right? You think synths are the future. Ha ha ha. Well, guess what, Javed? Uh, you're, you're, he's right. Since are the future, there's going to be this thing called Skrillex that's going to happen, right? Like, and and no amount, <laughs> no amount of going back to basics uh-huh. with a jam band, right? Like, yeah, you think Fish will be popular for a long time, but like, you know, bam, Taylor Swift bam, will have bam, bam, well, a shout to all my lost boys, but yeah, a shout to all my lost boys, wing ring, wing ring, bang ring, bang ring. <laughs> what does the sax solo from Bangarang sound like? Is my question. What's the sax solo from Purple Lamborghini from Suicide Squad sound like? Rose? Right. It's like Mr. Ro- Mr. Rick Ross on the raprophone right there. Uh, he. Uh, I mean uh, that. I mean I, his musical taste is is played for laughs, but it. Uh, 
it does um, it actually does provide another uh, register on which the the um, the kind of the theme right is uh, is recapitulated, which is you know his dad is a dick to him about his taste in music you know yes and javid and kind of and just because his dad is right doesn't make it any less no, painful yeah exactly and javid and javid kind of joins in with him and this is the thing he gets really butthurt about um you know in a very teenage way but like he he you know but like you were you were mean to me and you could have been nice to me right it was not necessary to be mean to me uh, in that moment, and like the sort of the the theme of like uh, authority and power and vulnerability and sort of acceptance is in this kind of trivial register is recapitulated. It really does kind of go through the whole. Uh, it does go through the whole movie, and it, it, you know, it is I guess like. Uh, whatever it takes, if it's the music of the boss or or a film like this or whatever, to like make us realize that hey, we're all out here, we're all vulnerable, and we're all we we all should be good to each other and, and take care of each other, you know. Um, and uh, you know, as Billy Bragg says, there is power in a union. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think I think with that ringing endorsement, <laughs> ringing endorsement of the labor movement, we might have to bring this episode to a close. What do you think of that, Pete? Uh, yeah, let's let's take it home. <laughs> <laughs> Look for the no, union it's... label is on the, the Overthinking Podcast uh, with proud member of three AFL CIO affiliated labor unions here. Um, all right. Well, uh, uh, thanks for listening very much, Pete and Mark. Thanks for for podcasting, uh, Bruce Springsteen. Thanks for for making music, and um, we'll, we're very excited to come back to you next week with more Overthinking It podcasts. Until then, please visit us. Uh, this us on the web at Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. One thing I loved about this movie was the awkward forced way that people quoted song lyrics to each other, which really seemed to resonate for me with how awkward it is to quote song lyrics when you're trying to make a point. And with that in mind, I would just like to say to you both gentlemen that driving out of Darlington County, my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord driving out of Darlington County, seen Wayne handcuffed to the bumper of a state trooper's Ford. Sha-la-la. La-la-la-la-la. Sha-la-la. Sha-la-la. Sha-la-la.